You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. This morning we continue in our series, Rechurch, as we look at Jesus' words to these seven churches in Revelation. Today we're going to be uh, hearing and learning about the church in Philadelphia. Now there's something a little unique about the church in Philadelphia. It is that they have no critique on them. Each of the seven churches, it starts with a declaration about who God is. Then it goes to the things that they're doing well, and then followed by a critique, and then from there how to be restored. So this church is known from the beginning as a faithful church that talks later about that they persevere and that they remain faithful. And so church, this morning, I hope that you'll be blessed as we watch and hear the testimony of, of one of our very own, Debbie Klim, as she uh, in, very, uh, in a very powerful way illustrates what it means to be faithful, what it means to walk in endurance. You know, much of the Christian life is understanding that there's not a perfect church. There's not a perfect pastor. There's not a perfect person. I always heard it said, uh, if the church was perfect, it uh, became not so when you showed up. And, and so the reminder is that perfection is in Christ. And so as you hear this testimony now, I hope that you're encouraged as it paints a picture of how Jesus has worked and how it's continued to work as uh, this story unfolds that, you, that has been shown in Debbie's life. And from that, you see this perseverance. You see what many of the things that are going to be modeled for us in the story to the church of Philadelphia. I grew up in church with my parents having me attend church before birth. Um, my parents were very involved in our church and from a very young age I was in church learning about Christ. At age 10 I got saved, baptized, and served in almost every role that you can imagine from having parents as youth leaders. Uh, as I got older and went to college I continued serving Christ right through those years but then things started to change when I got a job in a very small town, um, small and as no stoplight small, tried to make friends in this new community. And I tried out a few churches. They um, were less than welcoming. I found uh, one church that I started to attend and people were nice, you know, they would shake my hand, they would smile, but that was the extent of it. There was no, nothing welcoming other than that. And so in order to make friends as a 25 year old, I went to the next place that you would meet friends to the local bars and establishments um, where people were welcoming. And um, I didn't make any horrible decisions, nothing that impacted my life, but um, I wasn't living for God. And um, throughout that time I ended up getting married and um, my husband and son comes along and life was hard. Marriage uh, adapting um, instantaneously as a wife and a, and a mother uh, was challenging. Uh, we made it through that um, and 
actually just celebrated our 25th year of anniversary. Um, but then comes my daughter. Then she comes along. Um, and all this time we're attending church. Um, my relationship with God is not where it's, it should be. I knew from the minute she was born that she was going to have some vision challenges. And the very first eye test that they were able to perform on her, she was 2200 over 20 in vision. And that's more than 10 times beyond being legally blind. And um, I think that's what brought me to my knees. And I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make it without God in my life. That was the catalyst that brought me back to the relationship with Christ that I really needed. Not that he had went anywhere, but I had. And so really her birth and her needing more from me resulted in me needing more from God. And I relied upon John 15, 13 and 15, 14, um, where it says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And the very next verse says, you're my friends. From that day forward, it's been no turning back. And um, he's done miraculous healing in her life. She now um, is within 20 over 140. That's 100% from God. You know, I'm very grateful for parents that started this journey and I'm grateful for where I am today. Amen. Thank you, Debbie, for your testimony. So let us hear the story of the church at Philadelphia from Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. That's the statement about who Jesus is. I know your works. Behold, I have set them before, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world, to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love that it ends with that statement. He who has an ear, let him hear. So not only was this message that Jesus gives to the church of Philadelphia, but he who has an ear saying us today, it was written to us that we need to learn from it. Each of the seven churches, we need to hear 
what they went through. We need to hear and be reminded of who Christ is. We need to hear and be reminded of the ways that they struggled, the way they compromised, the way they failed. And of course, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is and how he restores and how he calls us to faithfulness, how he calls us to persevere, how he calls us to purity. This passage is actually a lot about power. And you may have picked up on that as we worked our way through the passage, even talking about the church of Philadelphia having little power. And in contrast to a synagogue that's there in the town that seems to have significant power. But the church of Philadelphia understood that there was power that existed in faithfulness to Christ. There was power that existed in purity of proclaiming the word of God faithfully. And there was power that exists in persistent endurance for the name of Jesus. Hear what 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 says. The aim of our charge is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Acts chapter 23 Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. He was on trial and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God and in all good conscience this day. Acts chapter 24. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and before man. 1 Timothy 1.19. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So there is power in a clear conscience, in a pure heart. Why is this so important? And I believe that the church of Philadelphia understood this. And that was at the source of their remaining faithful to God. It's so important to experience and walk in this clarity and purity of conscience because that is where you experience the freedom that God intended for you to experience. I'm reminded, if you've ever been on a boat, boats actually ride pretty much on top of the water when they get up to speed. But if you have too much weight in the boat, as my family oftentimes would overcrowd, it was so hard to get up and ride on the top of the water, or you just kind of slugged through and never could plane off. Well, I think this is very much the Christian faith for believers who do not walk with a clear conscience. You operate day by day, weighted down in such a way as that you're not able to rise above and ride on the freedom that exists in Christ, but you exist in a, in a constant cycle, one of shame, one of guilt, one of, of, of walking in, in some form of slavery, walking in unforgiveness. And these things keep you weighted down. And you never experience that freedom which allows you to walk in a clear and pure conscience. And then you do not experience the power of God in your life. Another reason why it's important is God wants to use you as a pastor, one of the things I long for most is for people in our church to get that God wants to use you. If, if 
the idea is that it's just supposed to be kind of these superhuman Christians that only do the work of God. It is completely not how God has designed it. But what oftentimes happens is that people don't walk in a pure and clear conscience, and so they think they're not ready yet. They think that they're not there yet. They think that they're not in a place that they can be used by God, and that is for some super spiritual folks only. And what a sad understanding of the church and of the freedom that comes in Christ that God wants to use even your brokenness for his glory and to use you to proclaim the gospel. The power of a clean conscience, it also allows you to have a good reputation and a good standing before others. That your clear conscience allows you to have a reputation, even as it says later in a few moments, that you become known for your good works and for serving. And in that, God uses it. And it allows you to walk not with worry of how you're perceived because you're being faithful to God. And it, actually, Scripture says that others will praise your Father in heaven because of your good works. And lastly, it allows you to have intimacy with God. And it allows you to experience deep worship. If you have a clear conscience, you're able to every day feel that closeness to the Lord. I find that so many people allow sin to come in or circumstance to come in or some form of unclean conscience. And all that it does is create a parallel line between you and God. There's this distance that is created and you do not experience that intimacy that the Lord has created. Maybe just to come to Sunday and to confess and maybe deal with what is going on. But I think the Lord desires for you to walk in that clarity and that purity of conscience daily. Not just come here, get uh, confessed and filled up and then drain it out. But no, to walk in that freedom and to walk in that uh, confidence and power that exists day by day. And this is what the church of Philadelphia embodied. What it means to have power through this purity and perseverance. And I love where it begins in, in, in verse 7. And the first point for today is that power is in Jesus alone. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, write these things. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Those statements make declarations about who Jesus is. And when you get Jesus right, that allows you to get you right. You see yourself through the work of Christ. That sequence of, of understanding who Christ is occurs in each of these seven letters. And in it, we see the all-powerful, all-knowing. We see the sovereign nature of God at work. And when we get him in his right place, it allows everything else to be seen from there. I love what it says in uh, Romans chapter 1, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek, for it is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The power of God exists in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this passage is all about power. 
The power of God, the power of a pure conscience and a pure heart and a persevering church. Starting in verse 8, the second point you'll see is the power of God through service and the word of God. I know your works. Behold, I have set you before an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. I know your works. What an amazing thought that the Lord would know your works and that he would then, as a church, say, you're doing well. Keep going. Keep doing what you're doing. Remain faithful. Continue um, that God might look on us and that we might be seen in that way, that God sees our works and that he is pleased and that he can says, continue on and be faithful. You know, I remember uh, many years ago going on a mission trip uh, to South Africa and I got to go down to the very tip of Africa, this place called the Cape of Good Hope. And down at the very tip of it was this uh, lighthouse that sat on the bottom. And that lighthouse represented, uh, you know, that, you know, you, as boats would need to be safe or it re represented where you would begin the turn and go back up around the, the bottom of the continent. And, and from there, that lighthouse just stood uh, as a great sign, uh, not only that uh, of the danger that was there from the rocks, but that you had reached that point or you had reached where people were and this Church of Philadelphia, the where it's located, very much was similar as an outpost or a, or a uh, lighthouse. So all of these churches in the, the seven churches are in this western region of modern-day Turkey. Uh, and this Church of Philadelphia was on the right-hand side of that region where a mountainous area began. And it sat up on this tall plateau, and it, and it looked out over all of this other area. And it was kind of this last outpost city that was right there. And they very much represented a gospel outpost. But listen to this. I know you have but little power. I know you have but little power. So there was this smallish church that was perched up in this gospel outpost that didn't seem to have a lot of power or influence in the area. And as I think about our church, I hope that we can be a lighthouse. I hope that we can be an outpost for the gospel. We don't have a mountain range, but I hope that we are an outpost for the gospel of Jesus Christ on Clay's Mill Road in the center of Lexington, Kentucky that we would be faithful. Even if we're a small church, some would say we're a small church, some say we're a big church, but even in that, that we would have the same reputation. We would be known for our good works and that we would be faithful to keep the word and that we would be faithful to not deny the name of Jesus. The power of a pure heart, this faithful, enduring service, and that in that is displayed the power of the gospel. Now, there's two ways to look at this statement that are said here. I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. 
there's two ways to look at that. There's some, there's some language that's used throughout Scripture, the idea that that would be used evangelistically. It would be used in sharing the gospel, that the church of Philadelphia has been given an open door to go and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and, and the idea that you would go through that door and that no one would be able to uh, overcome that and it would be opened and you could be used. And I believe that's accurate, but I think there's also an even deeper, better meaning here. It says, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. You see, in this same town, there was the Jewish synagogue. And this letter becomes pretty harsh of the Jewish synagogue in this town. To the point that we find out that the door has been locked to these Christians in the church of Philadelphia. They've been kicked out. They've been dealt with harshly, and they're not allowed to be in the Jewish synagogue at all, and they've been pushed out. But Jesus says, good news. I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. This is the door to the kingdom of God, and that no one's able to shut that door. And they get to walk in it, which is far greater than the doors of any building or any synagogue, that they get to walk into the king's kingdom, power, is different in the kingdom of God. It says, I know you're of little power, verse 9, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but they lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down at your feet. They will learn that I have loved you. I love the central theme that we start to get a feeling for here about the kingdom of God. It's actually an upside-down kingdom. Donald Crable, in his book, The Upside-Down Kingdom, <coughs> talks about the fact that the kingdom of Jesus is an inverted kingdom. And he uses an illustration that says, think of it as two ladders that are side-by-side, side, one being the kingdom of God and the other being the kingdom of this world. And that the things that are on rated highly on one ladder are near the bottom on the other ladder. So two ladders, and think of the, the ladder that the world seeks to climb. Power, fame, money, security, prestige. And, and as you go up, that is seeking to climb that ladder. But we see a total different understanding of, of the ladder of the kingdom of God. It says this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Think about the church of Philadelphia being this little church that now is seen as the power of God. The way up is down. To experience life, we must die. To be free, you must pick up the cross. To be given much, you must be faithful in the little things. To be great in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself and becomes like a child. Humility rather than pride. Philippians 2 says this straight on. But do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. 
Be faithful even when you are weak. The church in Philadelphia was a small and some would say weak church, but they were faithful nonetheless. And Jesus commended them for their faithfulness, even though they had little strength, they experienced the power of God. I want to continue on on this point. Uh, so I'm going to read from, from Mark chapter 10, where it talks about this upside down kingdom. James and John, the sons of De Zebedee, came to him, Jesus, and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, I'm a dad. I've got three little boys. And imagine my children coming to me and say, Dad, we want you to do whatever we ask. Like they're, they're setting me up, right? And I, um, my son, Gunner, uh, he's uh, nine, about to turn ten, but he's, he's pretty smart and pretty uh, savvy for his age. And so the other day he comes and says, Dad, can I have your autograph? And I'm flattered. I'm like, oh, man, yeah, of course. I'm like, Dad, uh, you know, superstar here. Yeah, I'll sign whatever you want. And so I sign this piece of paper he gives me. And then he proceeds to go over and write the list of things that he is saying that I agreed to get him as though it was a contract that had already been signed. And that is kind of the same mindset of what uh, James and John are doing here as they talk to Jesus. They're, they're setting him up for this question. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in glory. And Jesus said to him, do you not know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism of which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup I drink, you will drink. And the baptism for which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand are not mine to grant. But it's for those whom have been prepared. And then the ten heard it. They began to be indignant at James and John. You can imagine how that was going. Like, come on, guys, quit, quit asking questions like that. And Jesus called to them. And he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise th authority over them. Now, right here is the big moment. <clears throat> but it shall not be among you. He's creating this counter culture, this counter kingdom. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you still trying to be first by being first? I love my children to illustrate further their pursuit like James and John. So uh, my kids have realized and caught on to the fact that whenever they all three rush to be first in line at something, I just reverse the line. So whoever's third, I move to first, and whoever's first, I move to third, and I try to model this kingdom ethic, right? And then, again, they're too smart. They're like, oh, well, I'm going to go last, so that God, in that, Dad will move me to first. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're again missing the whole point, right? is that there is this counter kingdom that exists, that the last become first, and you have to serve. And Jesus modeled this. 
the Son of Man, the King of the Kingdom, our God, our Creator, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself up as a ransom for many. George Ladd said this, the life and the fellowship of the church is to be a foretaste of the kingdom of God. I hope that our church is known like that kind of church. The one that, that exemplifies the power of God, not our own strength or talent or power. So as we continue to verse 10, we see the power through perseverance. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have had, what you have, so that no one may see, seize your crown. So what does it mean to persevere? What does it mean to have endurance? It's simple. Keep the word. And do not deny the name of Jesus. So keep the word and keep the name of Jesus. Again, I told you there is no perfect church. Even one here is not called the perfect church. It's called a faithful church. They were faithful to the word of God and they were faithful to the name of Jesus. So how do we remain faithful? That's it. We're going to be faithful to the word. We're going to be faithful to the name of Jesus. And that's what you've got to do as an individual. That's what we've got to do as a church. And even as you see the synagogue, the language is pretty severe as it is called uh, the synagogue of Satan here in this area. And if you think about what the synagogue should have been, these were the people of God. These were God's chosen people. And they, I mean, in addition to murdering the Messiah, they also did not keep the name of Jesus. And from there, they lied. They're, they're, they're saying that they are the people of God. But that is only in and through keeping the name of Jesus. And it says even further that they're going to become a footstool to the small, powerless church. Again, the upside-down kingdom. So several of these other churches receive critiques, and there's two that don't receive critiques, and this being one and the church at Smyrna, the other. Um, the other five receive critiques, and it's interesting enough, as I studied, it kind of came to mind, there's actually a critique in all seven to a church, except in these two, it critiques the synagogues. And it critiques them for persecuting the church. And so each of the seven do carry a critique, but two of them are not to the churches, but to the synagogues the, that should have been the people of God, but exchange the truth of God for a lie. So as we see this power that comes through perseverance, it says, hold fast to what you have. So there's an encouragement says, even though you're doing good, even though you're a faithful church, hold fast to what you have. Keep going. Keep going. Continue year after year, decade after decade, being faithful to hold the word of God, to hold the name of Jesus. 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test of time, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So how does power come through perseverance? Well, I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 5 lays this out. It says this, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. You hear that? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And our endurance produces character. And our character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Listen to this. Hiding and our perseverance are the deepest treasures of God. Hiding and our perseverance are the deepest treasures of God. And it, this intimate process of him shaping us and molding us into his image through the Spirit. Jesus promises to keep his word and reward those who keep his word. You hear that? Jesus promises to keep his word and to reward those who keep his word. That leads to the final point. There is power in the promises of God. The one who conquers. I love that. I just start right there. Isn't it amazing the idea that a Christian can conquer? That through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that you can conquer those sinful things and those things that weighed us down. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, which is again a direct contrast to the synagogue who should be a, a literal temple of God and a pillar there. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. My own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I love this. There's a clear statement here. I will put on him the name of my God. So you belong to Jesus. And then it says, in the name of the city of God. So it's saying, I know whose you are and I know where you're going. And then it goes on further and it says, in my own new name. The idea that Jesus himself is staking claim on you. So the, the power and the promises of God. Here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, it says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put the seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee that the spirit is at work and empowering you as well as sealing you. The name, imagine the king with the signet ring. It says the seal of the name of Jesus is on you, securing you and empowering you to walk in conquering but that conquering comes through purity, a clear conscience, 
through perseverance, that you experience the power of God in your life. The letter of the church to Philadelphia is a message of hope and encouragement for all of us who are striving to be faithful to Jesus. Jesus promises to bless those who are faithful even if they are weak and small. He promises to keep his word and to reward those who keep his word. Let us be encouraged by the example of the church of Philadelphia to trust the promises of God. I like the way the New King James Version says it in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Imagine what that's going to be like for the church at Philadelphia. That Jesus is coming and he's bringing with it. I can't help but think of like Santa with a big sack of rewards. But, but imagine that, that Jesus is coming to, to give the crown, to give the rewards, showing up to the church at Philadelphia and other faithful churches and other faithful Christians who have persisted in purity and persevered, that they will receive that reward. So my friends, I encourage you to be faithful. I hope that as a church, we are faithful. Be faithful even when we're weak. Faithful that we would keep God's word. Faithful that we would never deny the name of Jesus, but it would be the name that we hold up. And take advantage of the open door that has been set before us. Whether that is to go and to proclaim the gospel, or it is to just walk and enter and reside in the kingdom with the king, that we can be confident that he is working all things together for our good and for his glory. And so there are no churches that were mentioned in all of these seven who... who Jesus just said, hey, great job, you got it. Check mark. You're comfortable. You're on cruise control. Things are going to be easy. There's not one. There's only two categories that I can see. Churches that really messed it up and churches that were under constant persecution. But in that experienced the power and the promises of God. That's the kind of church I want us to be that we're going to be filled with people who are dependent on Jesus and in and through it we experience the power of God working. But we also know that that's going to be in a world that's a lot more like the synagogue that's going to be persecuting and challenging. But as Jesus said, we can conquer. We can overcome. We can become the overcomers in this understanding that we are faithful, that we persist and so I pray that we can know that our power is in Jesus alone, that we will experience power through service and the word of God, power understanding that, that it's different in the kingdom of God. It's an upside down kingdom, power through perseverance and power in the promises of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We long to be like the church of Philadelphia. As a church, also as an individual, we desire to have a purity of heart and purity of conscience that allows us to experience your power, 
that we might persevere, that we might be faithful, that we might continue to to keep what we have already experienced in you, that, Father, we know your reward is coming, that you are coming, but, Father, we pray that you would help us to persevere, whether through persecution or challenge or sinfulness, that we would fall on you this day and that we would experience, as it said in Romans chapter 1, the power of the gospel. We praise you and we thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.